I do have a word that I've been pretty excited about this last week to, to share with you guys. And I want to give you just a little bit of backstory. I want to, I want to minister today on the cross without the condemnation. The fact that we open with the words, the cross lets you in on the fact, the secret that uh, we're going to add one more cross sermon to our recent cross series. And instead of doing it on a Tuesday night, we're going to do it right here today. I did not intend to do that when this last week opened. I, I just, uh, but that's where we landed, and I'm going to show you, or kind of lead you up with a couple of reasons why. On the Christian calendar globally, today is the final Sunday of the Christian lectionary year. Next week begins Advent, and we, wor- we, we start the, the long journey through the story of Christ, anticipating His arrival, and that would be across the world, around the world next week. You'll start to hear Advent sermons and Advent lessons that'll be in your lectionary readings. And so today technically is the last Sunday leading up into the flipping of that calendar. And the gospel reading is where we're going to focus today. I'll meet you in Luke 23. Um, We are not going to have any screens today. We're just going to read some verses from the word and see where the father takes us. Um, But I will, we're going to read from, from what will be the gospel lectionary reading. And interestingly enough, that Christian year ends with Jesus going up the hill. And carrying his cross to the top of the hill and being nailed to Calvary and dying between two criminals. We have the thief that makes fun of Jesus. We have the thief that receives Jesus. And it's an interesting end to the Christian year that we end here at this moment. Uh, Christ going up the hill to the cross like the, 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 the flipping over of the story. Then we go from the death of Calvary and we flip over into the nativity of Christ and the excitement of his arrival. So we want to land that um, properly. Um, in the midst of that, having that on my mind, like, oh, look, I think that's what we're going to do for November, is we're going to land there at the end of the lectionary reading. Uh, I got a call this week from a young man who is pastoring. He's in his 20s, and he's pastoring a church, and he's a third-generation Pentecostal, and he started to share with me some of the things that are going on in his heart and his life. And he told me he had been watching our stuff. He had been referred to me by somebody else. And he just wanted to let me know what an impact was happening in him. The finished work and, and grace, he was revolutionizing his life, revolutionizing his ministry and his church. And, uh, and so I advised him on some sermons. He wanted to know what, what, maybe what to watch next. And so I heard back from him this week that he had started the cross series that we did. We just came out of on our Tuesdays. We did 10 weeks, the cross and a little different view each week. And no, not exhaustive. You can't ever finish with the cross. You never get finished. You just keep finding something to talk about with Jesus dying on the cross. He texted me after the first sermon of the series. And he said, um, I've heard two or three sermons in my life on the cross, and I can't believe I just found a resource where there's 10 in a row. And he said, I just want to thank you. We had a great conversation. I hung the phone up and thought, wow, third generation Pentecostal has heard two sermons in his life on the cross. I didn't say that at the time. It was just more of, you know, you're conversing. And that sort of soaks in later, and you think, I can't make any judgments. I don't, I've never heard any of them preach. I don't know their backgrounds. I don't know anything about that. I just know that what a testimony to be able to make it 
that long and not have heard, and I don't mean what a testimony in a good way, but a testimony of what are we doing with the death of Christ if not preaching it, if not referencing it, if not talking about it, if not leading people to Christ through it. I mean, I don't know about you, but I come to Jesus on the idea that something happened at Calvary that was happening for me and that I needed to respond to it. And that that was the, the call of the Gospels. Like, what are you going to do with this? Jesus died, and, and then you insert you. Jesus died as you. Jesus died for you. Jesus died if you were the only one on the face of the earth. All the stuff we say about it. And so my mind was blown. It still kind of is. Go, maybe it was hyperbole. Maybe surely it wasn't just a few. I'll, I'll, I'll admit that. Surely that's the case. But my, my point being is I, I don't think any of us hear enough about the cross One of the reasons we did that series was because I've wrestled with and been wrestling with what it means to respond to Jesus' call. That if any man's going to be my disciple, if you want to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Well, what does it look like to pick up my cross every day and follow Jesus? And if you'll recall, one of the statements we made, and I even went back in my notes to make sure I had the right sermon for this, but one of the one of the messages we did was called the cross as a tree. And all we were really doing in that was trying to show you that we all call Calvary a tree, but the Calvary's not a tree. It's just a stick in the ground. And Jesus carries the cross beam up and they hang him from the cross beam and put the cross beam on top of the stick. It's not a tree. There's no branches. There's no fruit. There's no roots, but the new Testament writers called it a tree. And we, if you'll remember that lesson, I was really just trying to show that they're trying to plant a tree in the middle of the biblical story. There's the tree of life in the Garden of Eden in Genesis, and there's the tree of life in a new garden in a new city in Revelation. And right in the middle, the biblical writers stick Jesus on a new quote-unquote tree where the sword that guards the tree of life in the garden just slices right into Jesus. And his veil of his flesh is rent in half, and out of that tree comes life, and the leaves are for the healing of the nations. And all you got to do is go to the cross, and you can receive all the healing that the first tree in the garden was supposed to give you. It gives you now because of Calvary. In that lesson, we made a statement that was something like this. You take up your cross and follow Jesus, but at the end of the day, what you realize is that ultimately you're taking up Christ's cross. If you'll recall, we, we said that. And, and what we meant by that was that what you're really doing is you're taking the load, whatever that looks like, up that hill with Christ, but you realize when it's all said and done that he's not asking you to die. You get up there and realize he dies, but you're participating sometimes through tribulation, sometimes through persecution, sometimes through pain, rejection, heartache. And if you'll view the cross through that lens, it might even help you deal with stuff like chronic pain and you go I don't know why I'm dealing with this chronic pain you go well God didn't put it on me but it's my cross to bear we like to say that we're not wrong it is part of what we pick up and go I gotta have a reason to get out of bed today this is debilitating me maybe it's up here maybe it's in here maybe it's on here but for whatever cause then we have to have a bigger reason and so that becomes the cross we bear but where it starts to become bearable is when it becomes Christ's cross so go, he's picked that load up with me. He carries it up that hill with me. So ultimately what we're trying to arrive at is to say, it's not really my cross. It was always his cross, okay? The verse we used in that moment 
early on in that sermon is where I want to start today. Luke chapter 23, verse 26 is not part of the lectionary reading, but it's in the same chapter. Okay, so I want to read that one verse, and then we'll read the lectionary reading for today. In verse 26 of Luke 23, now as they led him away, this is Jesus, of course, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. If you'll recall, we used that verse a few weeks ago and said that as you get to Calvary, you, you see a human being at the foot of the cross pick up Jesus' cross, Simon, and carry it up a hill, and you realize that it's Simon's not the one going to die on the cross. Jesus is the one that's going to die on the cross. So the cross Simon carries is actually Jesus' cross, okay? So the cross that Barb carries is really Jesus' cross. The cross you carry can become Jesus' cross. That's what it should be. Simon doesn't go up the hill and die is the point of that text. Why is he in the story? Is, is it to show us that God needs our help? I think it's to show us that we all pick up crosses in our lives and we bear them up a hill and they're tough and sometimes we don't understand why we're underneath this heavy load but if we will have a revelation of the one who walks in front of us look at that so that he bears it after jesus so who's in front of simon jesus if we look unto jesus the author and finisher of our faith we realize that what we're actually carrying is really his cross he's the one who will actually suffer and die on our behalf and so we're entering into that now That leads us to what is the lectionary reading today and start in verse 33. I just want to read, we're going to read through, right up through, today you'll be with me in paradise, all right? When they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. They divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him. This is the last conversation Jesus has prior to the cross. What an interesting one. If you're the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other criminal answering rebuked him and said, do you not even fear God? Seeing you are under the same condemnation. And we indeed justly, because we received the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. He said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And this is the token appearance of the word paradise in all of the New Testament Greek. But Jesus is grabbing hold of a phrase that would, doesn't mean much to us. We think heaven. But it meant a lot to his Jewish audience because it was an Edenic phrase. The word Eden in the Hebrew means paradise. And so Jesus, the tree is taking us back to a garden. And so taking this man back to a garden by being the tree that this man needs access to. 
I don't know how this gets handled around the world. I, I, I'm in, intrigued and have been, you guys are probably learning this, this year with really trying to pay attention to the lectionary reading each Sunday. If I go into someone's church recently, I at least take a look at it and go, is that what I should preach? I mean, it's going to be preached by you know, several million people around the world today. Is that where I should land? And so I've been paying more attention to it. I don't know what everybody does with each one. In fact, it's one of the things that sort of infatuates me about it is there's going to be millions of people stand up and read the same text from all kinds of churches, and they're going to take you a lot of different directions. And that's not a bad thing. That's an amazing thing that we get so many different things out of the same story. So I don't know. I didn't go read a bunch of other people's stuff on it. I don't know what universally people say about it. But I do know that it hit me at a spot where we just come out of talking about the cross in a way that I don't think it would have before our series on the cross. And so it's probably colored a little bit in my interpretation by having spent so much time wrestling with what was going on at Calvary. Before I land on that, I just want to hit a couple highlights that I don't think you can read this text without at least saying something about. All right? Number one, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Which I think could be, in a nutshell, the absolute perfect presentation of Christ's gospel ministry on the earth. Dad, forgive them. They don't know what's up. And I don't think anything's changed 2,000 years later. We still don't know what's up. We still don't know what we're doing, and we still need the forgiveness of God for the very reason that we're ignorant. I was just editing a sermon before I came here today from from our time in Westminster, and I was reading from Hebrews in the text, and I didn't even see this when I was up preaching. I only saw it uh, editing. But there's that moment in Hebrews where Jesus goes in to put the blood of the cross on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant in heaven, And he says, and to forgive the sins we had committed in ignorance. And I said that up preaching. Jesus comes to forgive the sins we've committed in ignorance. I just moved on. Just kind of jumped past it and went to the next thing. And as I'm thinking about this reading, it strikes me. Because I remember standing there in the pulpit that night thinking, do I chase this rabbit down the trail where you parse out sins of ignorance and then sins that aren't ignorance? Like stuff you did that you didn't know you were doing versus stuff you did that you knew you were doing. And I thought, well, that's a rabbit that I can't catch, you know, because I don't know. I don't know what you know about your sin, but it hits me now. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do because every sin you commit's in ignorance because you don't ever know what you're doing. I mean, really, I mean, we, we, we don't know what's coming around the corner. We, we don't know where our foot's going to fall much of the time. We're just living this moment to moment and day to day. But we have an advocate who says, dad, this blood's yours. Forgive them for it all. They don't know what they're doing. I like to say it this way. Father, forgive them. It ain't easy being them. And since it ain't easy being them, I'm going to pay for them so that it's a little easier to be them. And I don't in any way mean God is not all knowing, but I think the most valuable lesson we could maybe get in seeing God as man is that God as man learns things about man that you can't know unless you've become one. And God becoming a man goes, it ain't easy being them to walk this out in a world that's against them at every turn. So Father, forgive them is the gospel, man. That's as good as it gets as far as I'm concerned. 
The other thing is the fact that the crowd and even one of the criminals say to Jesus, Jesus only hears from three people. He hears from the crowd, he hears from the criminal against him, and he hears from the criminal for him. And two of, all, two of the three voices say, if you're who you say you are, save yourself. And so Jesus, all the way up to his death, is having to hold on to his identity. Remember early in his ministry when he goes out into the wilderness and the devil says, if you are the son of God, turn these stones to bread. And Jesus has to know he's the son without proving it to the devil. And this is really hard for us because when we know stuff, we want everybody to know that we know. You know, like if we've if we got the answer, we want everybody to know we got the answer. And don't you dare act like I don't have the answer because I know I have the answer. So I'm going to prove to you I have the answer. And at the earliest outset of Jesus' ministry, here's the devil going, oh, if you were really the son, you'd do this. And Jesus is like, I don't need to prove anything to you. I know who I am. Now, that's, that's miles beyond my maturity. I don't have that kind of maturity. All the way to the cross, they're doing that to him. At the cross, if you're Christ, save yourself. And the reality is, is if he would have saved himself, a lot of people would have believed. So getting people to believe is not necessarily the proper end game. Because if getting people to believe was at, in the moment was the end game, Jesus could have got a bunch of people to believe by going, you're right, watch this. Pop, pop, remember, that, remember that story I told you about reading that comic where Jesus pulls his hands off the cross, pulls his feet off the cross, and he starts beating up the Greek gods, to, you know? He could have done that. A lot of people would have been like, I've never, what? None of us have ever seen anything like this. What's going on? And belief would have happened, but sin wouldn't have been conquered. Evil wouldn't have been judged. Jesus has to finish. You can't get to it is finished if you get off the cross. John 19 is coming. It is finished. You can't finish the way of the world. And so save yourself isn't possible because if he saves himself, then you aren't saved. I'm not saved. So the crowd doesn't know what they're talking about. And they say to Jesus, save yourself. All right, I'll leave. There's my two. There's my two shots at that's what I would do with the lectionary reading. Um, Let you know that father forgive you. Father forgive them because they're ignorant applies to all of us in our ignorance. And yes, we are all ignorant and that you can't save yourself. And if Jesus comes off that cross, none of us have any hope for salvation. Now, having said all of that, I just want to land on the thing that I felt like the Lord showed me in this story, and that is this. Simon picks up the cross of Jesus, and he follows Jesus right behind his footsteps up the cross as a sign that you and I have a load to carry, and we must do it. And the best way to do it is to be able to see Jesus with us in carrying that load, and that as we watch Jesus carry it, we realize that that's part of who we are. However, here's the problem, and this is where I couldn't get my mind around for a long time with this whole pick up your cross and follow Jesus stuff. Criminals die on crosses. Condemned people die on crosses, right? In the Roman Empire, Romans didn't die on crosses. Strangers did. And not just strangers, felons died on crosses. So to pick up your cross, of course, means you're heading for a death, but it would also be an admission of guilt and condemnation. It would be to say that the only people that die on crosses are people who are condemned. And if I'm picking up the cross to follow Jesus, then I must be picking up my recognition of condemnation. I must be picking up my recognition that I am condemned. But this story, to me, releases us 
from the reality that if we carry the cross, we carry condemnation for this reason. Because when Simon picks up the cross and carries it up the hill, he's doing what I have to do and what you have to do, carry our burden and carry our load. But when Jesus gets nailed to the cross, look one more time at what the criminal says in verse 40. The other criminal answered the other criminal, rebuking him and said, Do you not fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we are justly under the condemnation because we're just getting the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. In other words, we, I think the NIV says it this way, we are under, this man is dying for crimes he didn't commit. We are under a sentence of condemnation. That's why we're dying. And so Christ goes to the cross, completely unworthy of going to the cross, for all of us who are worthy of going to a cross, so he enters underneath a sentence of condemnation so that you and I can pick up the cross and not be condemned. And here's how we know. I want to show you two passages. Isaiah 53. Go here. We're going to go Isaiah and we're going to go Paul. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He didn't bear his griefs. He didn't bear his sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And we do that. I know I'm commenting as I read, but that's, that's me. We, we esteemed him smitten and stricken of God because that's what we do when we watch a man die on a piece of wood. Because we're good Jews and we got the Torah. And the Torah told us that if you die on a tree, you're cursed by God. And so when Jesus dies on a tree, we go, well, God wanted him dead because... He's dying on a tree. And, that's, and I know we're not Jewish when we read this, but we still kind of treat it that way. Like God had this vendetta against Jesus that Jesus sort of stepped in the gap and paid some debt that we owe. But then read on. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Nobody gets out of this. This is all of us. This is all of our ignorant sins. And then this is it. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Jesus goes to the cross without any iniquity, and God lays on Jesus the iniquity of us all. In other words, Simon picks up the cross and follows Jesus up the hill, but Simon doesn't get nailed to the cross. Jesus gets nailed to the cross. And he doesn't need to be nailed to a cross. He didn't do anything wrong. Simon's the one that needs to go to the cross. Simon carried his cross, but at the end of the day, Jesus lays down on the cross that Simon carried. Jesus takes into himself the condemnation that Simon carried all the way up the hill for the reason that you are going to carry a cross, but it's too much to ask you to carry a cross and carry your condemnation. So Jesus sets you free from condemnation because on him was laid the iniquity of us all. Now look at Paul. Paul kind of puts a bow on the top of this thing. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now... No one is under the sentence of condemnation that the criminal on the cross was under. 
And the reason no one is under the sentence of condemnation that the criminal on the cross was under is because Christ went to the cross underneath our sentence of condemnation. Why? Because all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us have iniquity. All of us have sinned. And therefore, Christ becomes all of us on the cross. All of our failures, all of our problems, all of our foolishness, all of our success, everything about us, he becomes at Calvary to relieve us from the sentence of condemnation. So I say this, you do have a cross to bear, and you're going to have a lot of them. You're going to have things you must pick up. They are your responsibilities. Sometimes they're your pains. Sometimes they're your stress. You must pick them up. And you must pick them up with two revelations. One, they're actually his. It's his cross. He's invited you. Come, come follow me. It's my cross. You think it's yours, but it's mine. I'm taking all of the stuff that you're dealing with and I'm carrying it. And here's your second revelation. You don't have to feel guilty for all your stuff. That helps you carry whatever it is you have to carry. So you can stop it with, I'm sick because God's mad at me and trying to teach me a lesson. You can stop it with, I'm under a sentence of judgment because God's got me, putting me through the, the school of Christ. All the stuff I used to hear and preach and come up with. And God's doing this to me because God's trying to show me this. And while we have a master a master craftsman, he takes all of us and he puts us on the wheel and he refashions us with all of our problems. He didn't give us the problems. He deals with them. The invitation to follow Jesus cannot happen without carrying a cross. At the end of the day, none of us have followed Jesus without carrying a cross. We do carry a cross. We carry a burden. We carry an issue. We carry ourself. What we don't carry is condemnation. Now, here's the great shame. This is This, I think, is where we've really messed this up, is that we think that if we put people under condemnation, they'll take carrying the cross serious. They'll realize that, hey, man, it ain't supposed to be easy, and you're guilty, and you got to... But I'm of a persuasion that if we actually released people from the guilt and the shame of condemnation, they would be able to carry a cross heavier than they think they can. Like... You haven't yet seen your best self. You're capable of more than you know. You're stronger than you think you are. You can handle way more pressure, way more stress for one reason. You're not condemned. God's not mad at you. God's not embarrassed by you. God's not ashamed of you. God's not ticked off with you. God's not unforgiving of you. God's not a little bit upset. He's not just teetering on the edge of disaster, just waiting for one more failure. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ because Christ died underneath your sentence of condemnation and he asks you to carry his cross, but he doesn't ask you to carry the condemnation. Carry my cross, I'll carry your condemnation. Come here with me, whatever burden you have. This is why I say you're stronger and you know you are because the more you know you're not condemned, the more you know you walk in the liberty of who he made you to be, the stronger you'll be. But the more we press people with guilt, shame, fear, condemnation, and judgment, and unforgiveness, and we tell them they have to jump higher, and they have to work harder, they are not going to take on more of a load. They're not going to take on more responsibility. 
They're going to shirk what little they have. And this is a cycle where we don't pick up all that we could because we don't have the framework to carry it. I'm, I'm, I'm carrying as much as I can carry. And it's because we're carrying the stress of it. And we're carrying the guilt of it. And we're carrying the fear of it. But if we could lay those things down, we could say there's nothing. This, this is why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not, I can jump six inches higher in Christ. I can throw a little harder in Christ. I know we, we slap that on bumper stickers and everything, thinking that, you know, you can make it through anything because of Jesus. Paul was actually saying, it doesn't matter what happens in my life. Sometimes I'm rich, sometimes I'm poor, sometimes I'm in, sometimes I'm out, sometimes I'm hungry, sometimes I'm full. I can do it in Christ. And the reason he can do it in Christ is because he knows who he is. Having laid down the shame of... This is... This is unbelievable. I mean, he was Saul of Tarsus. He's responsible for the death of God only knows how many people. And he can sleep at night. One of them phenomenal unpreached things about the Apostle Paul is that he can sleep at night because he saw Jesus. And his eyes were blinded to old Saul at his conversion. His eyes went blind. Why does eyes go blind? None of us, when we got saved, our eyes went blind. It's an allegory for you don't get to see who you used to be. When you open your eyes again, brand new world. We don't go back to what we were. When Paul finally does write about it in Philippians chapter 3, he goes, what I used to be is dung to me. He goes, I'm done with it. It's fertilizer. It's the best thing you can do is just fertilize somebody else's life. If I'm going to talk about it, it's only going to be so that your future is better than it would have been if you hadn't known the foolish side of me. I'm not going to live under one more day of shame. The only way he could say I can do all things through Christ is because Saul was gone. Paul, but don't dare try to tell Paul he didn't have a cross to bear. He goes in stripes and in famine and in fastings and in shipwrecks and in tribulations and in persecutions I've been serving God. He goes, I, I feel honored to suffer along with Jesus. Paul grabbed the largest cross he could and stuck it on his shoulder and went, let's go all the way home with this. They're going to chop my head off someday for this gospel, but I'm going to carry this thing right up that hill. And he could only carry such a large cross because he had laid down such a large condemnation. And you lay down such a large amount of guilt, then you go, okay, Lord, I got nothing to be scared of. I got nothing to be afraid of. I know who I am in you. I know who you are in me. Let's go. This is what I hope for all of us because there's a big load to bear in life. Not every day. Some days, sometimes it's, there's some seasons of your life where it's, it's, there's relief and maybe you don't bear much. And, but just hold on because, you know, there's one coming that's going to knock you sideways because that's life. And, you're gonna, and if you've misunderstood the love of God, you're going to wonder why God hates you now. And if you've been preached to that condemnation is a result of sin, you're going to try to go look into your life and figure out what you did wrong. And you're going to get under more shame, more guilt, more condemnation. Because how many of you know, if you think that your problems are a result of sin, you'll find some sin. Finding sin ain't hard. Everybody acts like this is always such a big deal. Like the Holy Ghost, ooh, he snuck that. He showed you that sin you didn't know you had. I, I, I don't buy that garbage. I mean, I think it's pretty easy to go find something you've done wrong. You don't have, and if you think it is, you're lying and that's a sin. And you're like, I can't find anything. I got it all lay, laid out. They go, you're lying. No, you can find some stuff. So 
If that wants to become our framework, where it's all about I gotta go ferret out all the junk I've done so I can get rid of this condemnation, well, you're not gonna win. It's gonna be circular. And that's why Jesus gets challenged on his identity in the wilderness, and he gets challenged on his identity at the cross. And you're gonna get challenged on yours all the time as well. Sons know that picking up the cross and following Jesus is part of discipleship. If anyone wants to be my disciple, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. But sons need to also know that condemnation is not part of the journey. So you don't have to carry condemnation with the cross. The cross without the condemnation? Is it possible to talk about the cross without the condemnation? Only condemned people die on crosses. You're not asked to die in the way Jesus did. Jesus died under your condemnation so that you could receive who Jesus is. What an amazing thing. I'll land in this with this thought. Remember, remember in, in the... Uh, 42nd verse of 23, where the, the criminal says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the word that he uses for remember is the same word that Luke, Luke's the writer. This stuff's not coincidence, by the way, when you've got a writer who keeps popping the same Greek word back up again. When Luke used, remember when Zacharias was told by the angel, your wife's going to have a son and he's going to pave the way. This is John the Baptist's dad. And Zacharias in Luke chapter 1 starts to sing a song about how excited he is that, that the Redeemer's coming into the world and that his son's going to play a part in that. There's even a little hint in Luke 1 that Zacharias actually thinks his son might be the Redeemer, that John is the Messiah, but he learns quickly otherwise. But as he's singing that song, he says, The Lord remembered his covenant with his servant Abraham. And he has visited his people. And Luke has Zacharias use the same word for remember right there that the criminal uses on the cross. Remember, remember. And, and this, isn't a, this isn't a coincidence. Luke puts that word in the criminal's mouth that was in Zacharias's mouth because what remember means is that God looks at his covenant and honors it. So when the criminal says to Jesus, remember me when you come into his kingdom, when you, when you come into your kingdom, all he's saying is, do to me what God did to Abraham. Just take me as I am. Because what did Abraham do? <laughs> Nothing. Abraham believed God, counted for righteous. It's not, he's not a clean guy. He comes out of Ur of the Chaldees. They're, they're, they're child sacrificial idol worshipers. And God calls a Gentile out of Ur, and Abraham goes, all right, I'll go. And the criminal on the cross goes, when, you, when your kingdom comes... Take me in under that. And Jesus goes, today, paradise starts. So, let go of the condemnation. Appeal to covenant. Father, forgive me. I know not what I do. I got nothing to bring to you. I pick up the, whatever load you've laid in front of me. I pick it up and I walk with you. But I, I walk knowing that it's your cross. It's not mine. And I walk knowing that I can only do it because I can't be condemned. Because Christ has suffered my condemnation. So, Father... Remember me the way you remembered Abraham. And you remembered Abraham because he just believed in you. And believing in you is all I got. It's all I got. And it's enough. It's truly enough to believe. I was struck this afternoon, was um, back at that text where Mary goes to the tomb in John. And the stone's been rolled away. 
And Mary peers in, sees the two angels. And she turns and goes out into the garden and she sees a man. And she assumes that because it's morning and she's in a garden, that it's a gardener. And she says to the gardener, hey, where did they take his body so that I can go and anoint it? Because Jesus' body's not in the tomb. And the gardener turns to her and says, Mary. Now, the gardener doesn't know her name, but Jesus does. And the moment she hears her name, he's not a gardener anymore. He's her savior. Now, that's a beautiful story, except we don't like it. And the reason I say that is because we won't let people have that kind of revelation in our churches. See, we make sure people have their theology right before we introduce them to Jesus. They don't get to have revelations of resurrection unless they know their scriptures, unless they know their text. You can't have that kind of revelation if you don't have faith. Guys, she doesn't think Jesus is resurrected from the dead. She thinks his body's been stolen. And Jesus rewards her by saying her name. You don't have to understand this book. You don't have to have it memorized, know how to cross-reference it, got a couple Hebrew words, Greek words, got all my covenants nailed. I know where it falls on the chronological timeline, got the map section memorized. None of that stuff matters. This is all about the Jesus that took your condemnation at the cross. If you can believe that much of that story of the cross, great starting spot. That's why Jesus said to them, if you had faith, just a little bitty mustard seed, he goes, we could take care of whatever tree, whatever mountain. He uses a tree in one story, he uses a mountain in another story. If you had that much faith, we could take whatever tree and whatever mountain's in your way, and we could get rid of them. If you just bring that much to me. So you don't need to know it all. You just take what you know. So maybe the only thing you know is the tomb's empty. Tap, tap, tap. Hey, Mr. Gardener, can you tell me where they took his body? And he goes, eh, technically, your faith's terrible. You don't think he's resurrected. You think I'm a gardener. You qualify. Um, hey, Mary, it's me. I, I think that's amazing. She doesn't get anything right except the tomb's empty. And he goes, eh, that's good enough. This is why I say to you, you know what we really are as Christians? We're believers in a resurrected Christ. We don't have anything else figured out, but the tomb's empty. And if we can live right there, we go, eh, that's good enough. That's a good place to start. That's your first cross. Pick that one up. It's a little, it's a twig. Then you can one finger it. But it's his. Walk up that hill with him. See what he does. What a story. What a story. You got your cross. I don't know what it is. But you don't need the condemnation. And I don't know what that is either, but you do. And I know we think we got that nailed. Like, well, I'm already a grace person. I believe in the finished work. I don't have any condemnation. I, I still think we do. I still think we pick up little pockets of guilt and shame, fear. And, and we think it's part of the cross. We think our cross is guilt. Our cross is that we're supposed to be a little bit ashamed of ourselves. That's the cross I'm supposed to... No. The condemnation doesn't belong with the cross. The cross is a load. The cross is difficult. The cross is heavy. The cross might cost you something, but it's not guilt. It's not shame. It's not fear. That's not the cross he's asking you to carry is, oh, I know you feel guilty. That, son, that's just the cross you're supposed to bear. No! That's in Christ. The world is, your life is too short to live it under shame and guilt and fear and condemnation. You've been released. 
And that's why Jesus goes under the sentence so that you don't have to. Let's pray. And in prayer, if the Holy Spirit speaks to you of a place that you carry the cross with condemnation, just lay it down. And you go, I don't know how. Just tap, tap, tap. I mean, literally, I don't know anything except the tomb's empty. And he goes, that's a good place to start. And so you go, I got this, and I don't know what to do about it, Lord. And he goes, well, what what can you give me? And you go, well, I can give it to you today in prayer. And he goes, great, let's start right there. Now, don't pick it back up. Lay it down. And let that begin the, the seed that moves the tree, that moves the mountain. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for this word today. You have, you have ministered in me, to me, areas where I have carried guilt because I thought it was part of what it was to be a preacher. Carried shame because I thought it was part of what it was to be a preacher's kid or what it was to be a pastor or what it was to be in ministry or what it was to be a man, what it was to be a husband, what it was to be uh, on this journey. I'm learning every day that a bunch of stuff that I thought was part of the cross was really just part of the condemnation I hadn't yet let you take. And I don't have a lot of answers, but I'm just going tap, tap, tap. And I know the tomb's empty. And in that, we're starting to see the tree removed and the mountain removed. Thank you. As your kids in this room do that. May the journey not just be one and done. Let it begin today. And those who watch this and listen to this, maybe it answers some questions. Most likely it just creates a few more. That's okay too. Let your spirit go to work in us to show us the areas where we, A, need to pick up our cross, and B, need to pick it up without condemnation. Forgive us for the crosses we've left laying on the ground. Stuff we should have done, but we were too scared or we were too lazy. I think once we get relieved of the condemnation, we might realize that we should pick them up. B, forgive us for the areas where we carried the condemnation we don't need. Father, forgive us. We don't know what we're doing. But remember us like you did Abraham in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.